Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. When a crisis hits, many believers send up a quick prayer for help. Then get upset when God doesn't answer just as quickly. Sound familiar? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to Psalm 13, where young David dealt with this age-old dilemma. What do you do when God's timing is different than yours? To introduce today's timely message, When God Delays, here's David. And thank you for joining us today. Today we turn to the 13th Psalm in our study of the book of Psalms. These are Psalms that God used to help me during the time I was recovering from my experience with cancer years ago. Originally, these uh, psalms were taught in a book called The Bend in the Road, and later our publisher changed the name of the book to When Your World Falls Apart, and that's the name of the book now, but it's the same material. It's the psalms, the psalms of encouragement for when you're going through times of difficulty. We'll get to our discussion of the 13th psalm and the delay that sometimes comes when we pray. But first, let me remind you that during this month, if you will help us with a gift, we'd like to send something to you that I think will really be a blessing in your life. It's a book called Sleep on This, and it is uh, readings to read before you go to sleep at night. And you can read them, or there's a QR code on every page where there's a reading, and uh, you just activate that, and somebody will read for you. And whoever reads to you, I've, I've listened to him. He's got a great bedtime voice. He will calm your spirit, and you will want to go to sleep. And thinking about the things of the Lord when you drift off to sleep is a great way to do it. Anyway, this book is available to you for a gift of any size. And I hope you will ask for it when you send your gift during the month of August. And we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment in what we do. All of our resources have one goal, to add value to your life to help you deal with life in a better way, to be better equipped from God's Word, to face the challenges that you face. Some of you have a hard time sleeping at night. I've read the statistics. I know how many of you there are. Sleep is a hard thing to conquer, but let me tell you what I've learned. Putting the words of God in your mind and in your heart before you pillow your head, that's a great strategy. We've tried to help you with this book, and I think you'll love the book. It's beautifully designed. It's got a kind of a padded cover with beautiful gold embossed letters, and uh, the book is done in a very special way to encourage you. Ask for your copy of Sleep on This when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. Here's part one of When God Delays. From the moment that David killed the giant Goliath, the giant that had taunted Israel, David himself became a hunted man. He had become the hero of his people, and King Saul, who had been the former hero, became bitterly jealous. The women of Israel celebrated the victory of David over Goliath by singing a song which is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 7. 
So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. You can imagine that a man with an ego as large as Saul's would have a great deal of difficulty when he walked out of the palace and into the streets and heard that song wafting through the air. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul's reaction to that song is recorded for us in just a few verses after the song itself is given. For in 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 and 9, we read these words. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. That means he gave him the evil eye. He looked at him out of the green sickness of jealousy which had come to take over his being. And 1 Samuel 18.29 tells us that Saul was afraid of David and became David's enemy continually. Now we all know that story, but what we may have forgotten is that for the next eight or nine years, David ran from Saul. He was the original fugitive. His fugitive status was complicated with all kinds of personal involvements. For instance, the one who was chasing him had a son and a daughter, and David loved them both. He loved Jonathan as his best friend, and he loved Michael, Saul's daughter. His lifestyle for these eight or nine years was one of running and hiding, and he lived in the fields and in the forests and in the caves and in the deserts. Finally, he was chased clear out of the land of Israel and into the land of the Philistines, who were the hated enemy of his people. He ends up in a city called Gath, where they find out who he is, and in order to escape, he has to act like he's gone insane. And the scripture says that in order to get away from Achish, the king of Gath, that David dribbled in his beard and scratched his hands on the doors and acted like he was crazy. Later, with 600 of his faithful men, he settled in a place called Ziglag. And he lived there for 16 months, only to go out on a military mission and come back. And when he gets home, the city has been burned to the ground. All of the wives and the children of his men, including his own family, have been carried away. He knows not where. The men who are with him, supposedly his faithful 600, are so angry about the situation that they do what sometimes happens. They turned on their leader. And they said they were going to stone him and kill him because he had been the reason for the loss of their family. And in 1 Samuel 36, we read that David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Out of the desperation of David's heart, running away from a powerful enemy for eight to nine years, living like he was an animal sometimes instead of the anointed king of God, David cried out to the Lord in the words of Psalm 13. And listen to what they say. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. F.B. Meyer, one of the great writers of scriptural commentaries has said 
that Saul's persecution lasted for eight or nine years and no hope of termination was on the horizon. And David was a man who spent 500 days passing through a forest. The tangled overgrowth hides the sun and he begins to despair of ever coming out alive. He wrote this psalm when he was exhausted, when he was depressed. The troubles with King Saul had gone on year after year and there seemed to be no way anything could be resolved. He had already been driven to desperate human means to escape from Saul and nothing seemed to work. And this psalm was wrung out of the extremity of his soul. He simply could not go on, not for another day, not for another hour, not even for another minute. Have you been there and done that? Been to the place where you felt like, Lord, I can't take any more. I have to hear from you. If you don't resolve this issue, I don't know what I'm going to do. Most of us have been there at some time or another. May have been a long drawn out sickness that you thought wasn't going to be quite as complicated, but it just keeps becoming more difficult than ever. Or it's a financial problem of some severity and long standing. Maybe you spent your whole life building your security for the future and something happened and eroded it and it's all gone. You wonder how God is ever going to resolve it. Or maybe it's a wayward son or a daughter for whom you have been praying now for lo these many years. Or an alcoholic spouse or an unsaved loved one or some kind of dysfunction in your family or a situation at work demanding unreasonable boss or some jealous spiteful fellow worker that you have to work beside every day before you know it you'll find yourself in David's shoes everybody goes through it sooner or later some unresolved problem some issue that you don't know what to do with and it seems as if no matter what you try there is no solution on the horizon and you can understand David's words He's a man of God. He's the sweet singer of Israel. He's the man after God's own heart. But in frustration, he cries out to God. How long? I couldn't help but think that we as spiritual children are not much different than our own physical children when we're on a journey someplace and from the back seat you get these words. How much longer is it? How much further is it? Are we there yet? We're just like children, aren't we? when God delays. We can learn much from these writings of David. Aren't you glad he put this down for us? Helps me so much to know that we're not alone, that someone else that we love and respect whom God has honored has had the courage to say the kinds of things that we wonder sometimes whether we should even be saying out loud. So we notice, first of all, as we look at the text, that we know our struggle when God delays. Sometimes we think it's not right for us to struggle, but it is all right for us to struggle. We're not the only ones who have ever struggled with this issue. Like many of David's psalms, if you will read them carefully, you will discover that the psalm begins with a sigh and it ends with a song. But you can't get to the song without going through the sigh. The reoccurrence of a phrase in this psalm is worth noting. If you underline in your Bibles, you will notice that four times in these first verses, he uses this expression, how long? Four times he asked God, how much longer, God? How much longer? He describes his struggle as he cries out loud to God. And here is a good illustration of the importance of honest prayer. Sometimes I think when we pray as Christians, we don't pray honestly. I don't know if we think we can posture before God or what. Have you ever had somebody say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing fine, and you know you're lying like a rat? 
I mean, you just got off the phone telling somebody how bad everything was and you meet another person in the hallway and they say, how are you doing? You say, I'm fine. You can do that with your friends because they don't know what's going on, but you can't do that with God. So you might as well tell him what's going on. Tell him how you feel. Sometimes when God delays, we feel forgotten. Let's be honest. In the first verse, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) The feeling that God has forgotten us is not an uncommon experience. Sooner or later, most of God's people go through a period of time when they wonder if God really is there, if he's really forgotten them. It's a thought that's repeated many times in the Psalms as you read through the book of Psalms. Notice it whenever it appears. For instance, in Psalm 10, verse 1. The psalmist cries out, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Don't you ever think, you know, God's always there when I don't need him. Then when I need him and I'm in trouble, he hides. Andrew Fuller, who was an early commentator on the scripture, said, it's not under the sharpest, but under the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. Isn't that true? We can handle the momentary challenges the big problem that comes up and we hang in there for the short haul and we get it resolved. But when that problem is protracted, I'm reminded that when Job went through his terrible times in the Old Testament, there's a portion of scripture where he was just hit one right after the other with the disasters of life. His children were killed, his animals were killed, his servants were killed, and everything happened to him one right after the other. And Job just handled it in great strength. But when it became apparent to him later on in the book that this was a long and protracted trouble, he just caved in under it. How many of you know how hard it is to know that there doesn't seem like there's any answer out there in the near future and this is going to be a long-term challenge? Sometimes when that happens, you think God has forgotten you. While we may feel like God has forgotten us, let me remind you that is an impossibility. God never forgets you. I love this verse of scripture which is written to the nation of Israel but has such great impact on us when we read it in Isaiah 49. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Listen to that. Can a woman forget a nursing child and that's the most endearing intimate relationship that he could think of he says, even if that were to happen, I'm not going to forget you. In fact, I've written your name on the palms of my hand. That's a personification of Almighty God so that we can understand. You are in the palm of his hand. He's not going to forget you. He hasn't forgotten you now, no matter what your feelings may be. Sometimes when God delays, we feel forgotten. Isn't that true? But David carries it to the next level. He said, sometimes when God delays and I don't hear an answer from him, I feel like I'm forsaken. He writes... How long will you hide your face from me? Not only has God forgotten him, but in his mind he feels like God has purposefully covered up his eyes so that he doesn't have to know that David is there. God's forsaken him. Now it's one thing to be forgotten. In the human realm, that can happen unintentionally. But to forsake someone, you have to do that on purpose. And David said, sometimes in my walk with God in this long, drawn-out affair of running away from Saul and all of the things that happened, I feel like not only has God forgotten me, but he's totally and maybe even on purpose forsaken me. He's written me off his list. He's erased me from the journal. Isn't that interesting? Because that is exactly the emotion that our Lord expressed when he was on the cross. But did you know where those words came from? 
Let me remind you of something so, so very interesting. In Psalm 22, we read these words. This is a psalm written by David, but let me tell you about it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are almost exactly the same words of Psalm 13. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I am not silent. Now, if you study the Old Testament Psalms, you know that Psalm 22 has no historic place in the life of David. It is what they call a messianic psalm. It is a psalm about the Messiah. It is a psalm which predicts and prophesies the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ long before that method of execution was known to any man. Psalm 22 is a picture in the Old Testament of the absolutely awesome crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new. And you remember when the Lord Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the words that came from his mouth in his closing moments before death were the very words of Psalm 22. Recorded for us in Matthew chapter 27, we read, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of a sudden, when I read that in this psalm and put it together with the truth of Psalm 13, I realized we're not the only ones who have felt forsaken. The Lord God himself not only felt forsaken, but was forsaken. His father turned his back upon him because he could not stand to look upon the sin that he bore there on his back. So every time you feel forsaken and you lift up your voice to pray to Almighty God, just remember that the one who hears your prayers has been there and done that. (laughs) He knows exactly what you feel. He has been there and experienced what it means to be forsaken. When we feel forsaken and we express our feelings, we are just being very Christ-like, aren't we? Sometimes you say, well, you know what? I don't think I should pray that way. That doesn't sound very reverent. Well, listen to the prayer of the Lord on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet at the same time, we have to be reminded again that God does not ever forsake us. In fact, the reason that he forsook his son was so that he would never have to forsake us. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He turned his back upon his son so that he would never have to turn his back upon us so that when we cry out to him in the midst of our trials as long and drawn out as they may seem to be even when we can't sense it God is hearing us and he will never forsake you over and over again that truth is found in the scripture like Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 for he himself has said I will never leave you I will never forsake you we may feel forsaken but we are not And we should feel free to express our thoughts to the Lord when those feelings overwhelm us. Then sometimes when God delays, we not only feel forgotten and forsaken, but we feel frustrated. Do you ever feel frustrated with God? God, I'm really frustrated. I've been praying about this for years, for months. Doesn't seem like you're there. Listen to the words of the psalmist in the second verse of the 13th chapter. He says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's frustrated for two reasons. First of all, he's frustrated because of his own emotions. He says, every day 
I go through this. Every day I have to deal with this. You know, the problem with the Christian life is it's so daily. And every day you have to get up and face the challenges. And if you've got some particular problem in your life, like a problem with your marriage or a problem with one of your children or some kind of sickness that you don't know about what's going to happen, every day when you get up, the first moments when your mind turns on, those thoughts begin to press in upon you. And they don't go away. James Montgomery Boyce, who has written a wonderful commentary on the book of Psalms, says, the third time David asks how long, he refers to a combination of what we would call dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. We no longer sense that God is blessing us and we tend to ruminate on our failures and get into an emotional funk. And when our emotions take over, it's always hard to get back on a level course. Because the best means of getting back on a level course is calm reflection and a review of all of the past blessings. And those are all swept away because of the problems that we are currently experiencing. And we discover we can't settle ourselves down long enough to complete the exercise of remembering what God has done and settling in on who he is. The problem begins to take over in our life. David was talking about that knot in your stomach, that lead weight in your breast that makes even the thought of food distasteful. You can't sleep and you can't eat and you can't settle to do anything. And every time you almost get your mind on something else, back comes the thought of that problem to take over again. Have you ever experienced that? Becomes your constant and daily companion. It's frustrating. You know what to do. You've been taught what to do. You know you should read your Bible. You know you should pray. You know you should fellowship with God's people, but the problem has taken over. It has gotten you in such an emotional bind that no matter what you do, you can't do the thing you know you should do. It was frustrated. Emotions were at the raw edge. And then he was frustrated because of his enemy. Notice he says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I need to tell you something that you may have forgotten. David was the king in waiting. David was anointed three times to be king of Israel. Do you know how long there was between when he was anointed the first time and when he actually became king? 15 years. When Jesse came down and brought David up to Samuel and Samuel poured the oil on David's head as a young man and said, this is the king. From that moment on, David went back to take care of the sheep. Then he went to Saul's court. Then he got involved in this whole thing with Goliath. And then Goliath was killed and David is chased all over Palestine for eight to nine years. And he knows he's the king. God's anointed him. He's anointed again and again the third time. But he's not king. He's just king in waiting. How would you like to be being chased all over the place knowing that you're the king? Wait a minute, God. I thought I was going to be king. Well, yes, but not till I chase you around the whole earth for about nine years, you know. He was frustrated. He said, how long, Lord, is my enemy going to be exalted over me? When David began to evaluate his own resources, here he is just a fugitive, and he began to think about the resources of Saul. Do you know that on one occasion when Saul tried to get him, there's just one little David. He sent 30,000 men to get one little old David. And David begins to think about how the sides are what the opportunities are for him to succeed. And he realizes that Saul has all the resources and he doesn't have anything. 600 measly men. And they were the offscouring of Israel. Everybody who was in debt, everybody who was depressed, everybody who had difficulty, those were David's men. And he said, Lord, how long am I going to deal with this? This guy's after me. He's got all the resources. I haven't anything. 
how am I going to be kept from destruction? In this depressed mood, here's what I think David was saying. Here's where he had come. I think he had finally decided that God had undertaken something more than he could handle. And that God wasn't able to do anything for him anymore. That the reason God wasn't answering him was that God didn't have an answer. And so it was really stupid for him to keep going. I mean, I can't compete with Saul. I don't have any armament. I don't have any organization. I don't have any troops. All I got is God. He's not talking to me. Hmm. Boy, do we learn a lot when we have to wait on God's answer. And someone told me that faith is, is the experience between your request and God's answer. Between your asking and God answering, that's where faith is. You believe even though you don't have the answer yet. All of us have gone through that learning experience. Maybe you're there right now. Exercise your faith. God hasn't forgotten you. He's just not on your time schedule, and, he, and you have no right to expect him to be. When the time is right, when you're right, when your request is right, God will answer. Tomorrow, part two of When God Delays. And then on Friday, we're going to talk about worship in times of trouble. Friends, we're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina this fall as we release a brand new book on the rapture. And we'll be in the Coliseum in Charleston on Friday night, October the 6th, and again on Saturday morning, October the 7th. And you can get more information about it at our website. And plan to join us if you live in that community. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, When Your World Falls Apart, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series When Your World Falls Apart on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The great management consultant Peter Drucker advised his clients not to promote a person into a top executive position who never made mistakes. 
Drucker said that the more mistakes a person makes, the more he will accomplish in the long run because he's not afraid to try new things. As stewards of God and people created in His image, we have been blessed with creativity, the ability to have new and fresh ideas. We should couple that creativity with courage and with the confidence that God doesn't hold honest mistakes against us. God can use mistakes and failures as stepping stones to success. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's willingness for us to fail on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.